while women who write take flight. As women who write, we recognize the importance of supporting one another because together we are stronger. Our goal is to provide this support through discussions about developing character, setting, plot, and dialogue. We will include interviews, panel discussions, and informal chats. Our team of Wild Women includes Gabby Anderson, author of South of Happily, a novel that started as a love letter to a lost parent and turned into a story about staying sane when life tries to shove us to the business end of a meat grinder. She is currently writing the second book in this series, North of Happily. Kim Connery, author of the sci-fi romance Stealing Aries and the memoir, You're Not a Murderer, You Just Have OCD. She also writes a blog to bring awareness to OCD at harmocdkimconnery.com. April Dilbeck, author of A Sacred Thing, a detective story about the theft of an African shaman's mask that leads the readers from the Congo to the elite world of New York art dealers and collectors. Elizabeth Jones, author of literary fiction and our resident MFA in creative writing. And Kathy Nichols, author of The Sometimes Sister, a psychological thriller that explores the bonds of sisterhood and life after loss. Our flight is organic and our journey is ongoing. We invite you to join us along the way. Today's guest is Reagan Rohde. He is the creator and owner of Black Rose Writing and Indie Press in Texas, the host of the Heard It Through the Rose Vine podcast and a fellow published author. He is an Amazon ad ninja, serves on Ingram's Publisher Advisory Board, and is a social media certified professional. Rohde has contributed to IBPA's independent NetGalley Insights and other reputable literary channels. He lives with his beautiful wife, Minna, and has two children, Lena and Walter Lee. Welcome, Reagan. Oh, thanks for having me. This is a very exciting, definitely a different podcast and experience than I've had before. Thank you. And I guess the one question I want to know above all others as a Black Rose author is how did Black Rose get started and why? Tell us about your vision. Yeah, so I was an author first and just through my writing experiences and working in the industry, doing editing for newspapers, and just enjoying the creative end of it. I thought that I wanted to create something. I didn't know what at the time when we first started Black Rose Writing and the name Black Rose Writing was symbolic to one of the books I had written, the Black Rose in the book and, and a sketch that was drawn for the book. And so that's where the name came about. And we went with writing instead of like publishing or imprint, you know, press or anything like that, because I wasn't sure if I just wanted to do editing or wanted to just help authors from like an agency standpoint, um, or actually create and publish books. And, and we obviously went the route of publishing books. And I just took my experiences. And, and I always tell everyone I didn't have didn't feel like I had a bad experience publishing. I published with two different publishers and I never felt like I had a bad experience, but I always felt there were things that could be better. You know, I mean, everyone always has a checklist of their perfect scenario. And so just based on that, I started Black Rose Writing and did it part-time starting in 2006. And in 2009, we went full-time um, and I was able to take those few years of data and really have some good uh, numbers in terms of this is how much I can do. You know, this is a projected, you know, income if I could do this, and it, you know, it scales in a similar fashion. And so through that data, went full-time in 2009, and we've grown in terms of our sales and finance financially every year since then. 
Thank you. And Kathy had some questions for us about your books. You're an author too, which we think is great because we feel like you can understand where we're coming from and the struggles and stresses that we face as authors. Yes, I'm excited because I like that I'm working with someone who has been on both sides of the coin. And so you understand, I feel like authors' frustrations and insecurities and all those sorts of things. And that's pretty comforting. But I also like the, your approach to genre. I think there's a quote someplace that Black Rose genre is the Black Rose genre that you are, you seem to deal really well with crossovers and that sort of thing. Uh, and then when I was looking at books you've written, I could sort of see why, because you are a multi-genre kind of person. You've got a children's book, baseball book, and some that I would classify as maybe futuristic suspense. I made that up. Yeah, Dark Fantasy is one series, and then the other would be kind of romance, suspense, mystery, maybe a little bit. But yeah, yeah, a little bit all over the place, uh, pros and cons in that. <laughs> hard well, to hard to get a reader to stick with you if they really don't read outside their genre. But then on the other end, when I've done book festivals, you're, you can cast a bigger web on, on a targeting, you know, oh, you like this? I got one of these. You like this? I've got one of these. I'm super amused with your children's book. It's I Like to Eat Children. I imagine that was a little bit of a difficult title to market. So how, how did you pitch that? Just to make sure when I wrote it, you know, I wanted to make sure that it came off as a children's horror story and, it's, and it came off lighthearted. Like it's got the, if you like scary things, it's got that element. But at the end, it's all about the parents and about the kids. And, you know, there's nothing, <laughs> nothing graphic in it. And so that, that was kind of the thing. But I think the title was meant to have that shock factor. And, and it, it certainly does at book festivals. And we go to a horror convention in Texas called Texas Frightmare Weekend. And I've always usually sell a really good amount of those books to, to the adults buying them, you know, for their kids that are all horror fans. I mean, where better to get your young kids started than a children's horror book? And uh, it's also, from what I understand about it, it really is a way to help children deal with fear and recognize the humor behind it. And, uh, so it seems like it's kind of multi-purpose and cool that way because you got a lot of positive comments from parents. So obviously, they weren't keep you wasn't keeping the kids up all night because they wouldn't have liked that. And your dreams in baseball to me sound like a passion project. Your dad, I believe, active in baseball. Is that right? So my dad played at the University of Texas and was drafted by the Expos and he blew out his knees and that, that kind of ended his career early. My brother played eight years at AA, which I got to sit in the dugout and ride on the bus. Growing up, that was kind of, got to see a lot of the, you know, inside the ropes, you know, what happens in dugouts and after games. And so, and then my grandfather played in the forties with one season with the Red Sox. Yeah, a lot of a lot of baseball rich family history, and I wrote that book. That was a uh, that one took me ten just over ten years to to finish from beginning to end, and so I, it's got a lot of different writing styles in it. <laughs> it's got some of my I had to go back and rewrite the whole first hundred pages because I'd taken so long off that my writing was so much different by that time. So yeah. Putting all that together, it was wonderful to get it done. The story that I wanted to get done, if I could go back and rewrite it, I, I think it could be much stronger. But uh, but yeah, it's, it was definitely a very, you know, from a passion standpoint, I, I put a lot into it. 
Now, I'm not going to ask you what your favorite genre to write is. Is there one that's easier for you to get into, or do you, once you're into it, it doesn't matter what genre it is, you're into it? Well, I think the genre, not so much easier to get into, but writing something like a, the setting and location and everything should be something you're familiar with. And that's something I made a mistake of with Dreams of Baseball. When I started that, I was 19, 20, when I wrote my first words on it, maybe 18, 19. And, and I chose, I don't know why to this day, but I chose like Los Angeles as the main team in California. And I've never even been to Los Angeles or California. So, I mean, having the research, street names, and weather, everything. I mean, it's just research. Whereas I wrote about San Antonio, you know, you can just write that. You don't have to, there's no research. You just write it off your experience. That was a mistake I made that would have, if I had to do it over, it definitely would have changed that. Well, I think you're entitled. You started it at 18 or 19. LA just seemed like the coolest place. And where you were from is like, eh, that's where I'm from. So, yes. Do you think that having been an author makes it easier to be a publisher or in some ways does it make it harder when you take some books, you don't take others? Is it something that you feel makes you different as a publisher? Although a lot of publishers, I think smaller houses, many of them are authors, but I would think you don't get a chance to write too much once you're wrapped up in the publishing. So how do you think your background as an author has affected your type of publisher you are? I think it is beneficial just because it's allowed me to do a lot of things and then writing different genres to test things and then be able to share that with our authors gave me a lot of insight on, you know, what kind of works and what doesn't. Um, And that way that happy to save other authors time where, you know, you've already spent that time and it wasn't as productive as you were hoping. And then also just the expectation as being a fellow author, when you tell someone something nice, I think, I feel like you get more respect whenever and appreciation whenever you've done it yourself versus being entitled. And so when I tell authors, it's okay to submit a really well edited manuscript because that's what I did. Like I took pride in it and wasn't like, oh, I'm just going to submit this really poor unedited thing. And then the story's great. And then they'll see the story's great. And then they'll be like, oh, we can edit it later. I wanted it to be perfect. It wasn't perfect, but I, you know, from my end, I did everything I could to try to make it that way before submitting so things like that where I can you know when we critique and when we expect things from authors it's nothing that I wouldn't have expected from myself yeah I think that does offer comfort and collegiality with the authors that you represent this is kind of a tricky one but it's not really sexist I'm interested in whether it's different dealing with female authors or male authors or do authors just sort of have their own not gender of course but do they have their own grouping that that goes past gender yeah i thought about this and i and i you know obviously didn't want to i even spoke to my wife because i mean you could have a really bad answer here but no i thought about this hard and it's like even if you tried to stereotype men and women uh it just i haven't found that like if i said okay you know some of our women authors do this i can go through and say our male authors do the same thing or worse you know and it's like however you want to put it. And so I really haven't noticed, you know, I thought about it and I, I really, and a good example is I, I've had, we've had two or three authors under contract that I thought were a male and they're a female because they use the name, you know, CJ or something like that. And it's just, you get this kind of preconceived based on emails, like, oh, this is a male. And then it turns out when they send an author image that it's a female and you're like, oh, well, I got to change my brain waves. And I think that's a good thing. Everything is always completely impartial. And then, 
off of what you said, I was thinking about it would be really neat to have someone read, you know, a few paragraphs of best-selling authors and tell you whether it's a female or a male. And I don't think it would be that easy to do. I probably read both pretty equally and it would be real hard to say like, oh, this is definitely a female author and this is definitely a male author. It's funny. I read the book, The Woman in the Window, A.J. Finn, and I thought it was a man. I finally looked it up because I I don't know what made me think it was a man. There's a tiny bit of difference in how he wrote the woman, but because of her emotional condition, you didn't, you couldn't really, it wasn't a dead giveaway, but it was, it's kind of interesting. Sometimes you, you get a vibe, but you can be wrong. So we want to talk a little bit more about how to submit. Uh, what is a mistake, a common mistake for me? Would you say it's what you're talking about, about not having it edited as well as you could? Before the manuscript stage, in terms of just submitting a query, I think it's it either not, I mean, laziness is probably the best word. Um, and that kind of covers everything, not doing your research, uh, you know, not knowing who you're submitting to. Um, and, and when I submitted my books, that was one of the first lessons I learned. You know, I wanted to shortcut and mass submit or, you know, have this pre-built template, but then it just doesn't work for every publisher. And so you've got to know what, you know, when you're, when you're submitting to a publisher, you want to take time I mean, you've got to think of it like a job interview. I mean, that's your one chance to impress and it's real easy to fail at it quickly. And and that might be your only chance. And so when you have, you know, misspelled words or your synopsis, I looked at one today where the synopsis was like 10 words and the bio was eight words. You know, that just shows me that you're not willing to take the time to put a serious pitch together. Then I, you know, how am I supposed to expect you to be the greatest writer and the greatest marketer ever? So I think it's just, you know, the, the tips would be to, to research who you're submitting to and then to just put your best foot forward. And I know uh, Gabby had some more specific questions about that. Gabby? Well, you answered it, really. I mean, that was the question is how clean does it need to be and how forgiving are you if you see one typo in 20 pages or something like that? Because I feel like the more I edit it, it feels like sometimes I'll go back, I'll I'll think it's perfect, I reread it, I read it aloud, or I have my computer read it out loud back to me, and then I'll find something. And it's, you know, months and months and months and months of editing and it just feels like it can never be perfect. Right. I think from a manuscript standpoint, obviously putting the query aside, I mean, I still read new Stephen King, new best-selling authors, and I submit on my Kindle, I submit errors to KDP all the time. And those obviously have gone through a lot of professional editors and channels. And there's still errors, but they don't take away from my reading experience at all. Um, and the same with when you're reviewing a manuscript. Of course, it's not perfect and still going to need some editing in most cases. But I think the main thing is when it becomes riddled. It's like if you're reading the first chapter and it's just you're getting three errors on a page or like major storyline flaws and things like that where it's confusing the reader. And that that takes away from the, the story. And, and that's where I think you suffer. Not Not so much as where you meant to use the word poor um, and you, you know, used it the wrong way. Instead of pouring a glass, you said a poor person. And, and, you know, that to me is just a misuse and it can get edited later. But if I read it and I understand what you're trying to say, then it's not taking away from my experience. That makes sense. That's nice to know too. That's reassuring. Elizabeth, did you have anything that you would like to add before we turn it over to Kim's final take? Yeah, I'm talking about the level of or various stages of development that you receive submissions in. It sounds like 
it's very well worth it to get a professional editor to your manuscript before you submit it. And so as someone like myself who loves to write, but loves to assist writers in the development and refining process even more than my own work, do you ever refer your potentially accepted and contracted writers to editors yourself? Or how does that exactly work within a traditional or indie landscape for publishing houses? Yeah, we do. When we first get authors under contract and start new projects, we do always send them a recommended editor list. Just editors that we know will give authors black rose writing rates or, you know, really take care of them. Um, and, and editors we have worked with before that we trust and have always gotten good feedback for. I always felt like having my own editor and I didn't even go the professional editor route most of the time. I always felt like with a little bit of work, you could get your you know, just by reaching out. And if you're willing to help someone else and help other authors, you know, you do editing swap or a lot of people have family members or friends that are really good readers and, you know, have that English background and, and can can at least put another set of eyes on it. And a lot of times they'll do it for a, you know, you can take them out to eat a nice dinner and get some pretty inexpensive editing. Just tell them like you're, you're the first one that's going to get to read this story and edit it, try to sell them at that angle. Great. Well, that's definitely what we're all about here in this group is uh, bouncing stuff off each other. And it's it's really invaluable. And my question is, it, it sort of goes along with that. We're all in a critique group together. And so we've by the time Kathy and I submitted something to Black Rose, it had been through rounds of critique actually for, well, more than a year. I know Ceiling Aries had been through critique group for three years, rewrites, critique. And in this critique group and our other critique group, <laughs> but speaking of critique group, I, I had walked into critique group and Gabby said to me, Kim, are you happy yet? Because when I found out it, Stealing Aries was going to be published, my first thought is not excitement. My first thought is, oh God, now I got to sell it because I'm a doer and I'm just, it's not my personality to just say, Yay, books coming out. I'm like, all right, what do we got to do? Come on, let's, what do we got to do? Okay, Instagram, TikTok, how much is an Amazon ad? When do you do that? Blog tour, you know, and my mind's going and I'm like, well, if it doesn't sell well, what do you do? You know, and I just, it's hard to take a minute because even massive, huge publishers these days, they expect the author to hustle. Like people say, oh, well, you know, if you're a big publisher with a big, huge publisher, you know, Random House or something, oh, you just sit back and that's not true. Pick up articles and Writer's Digest, anywhere like that. That's not true anymore. You know, you hustle. They expect you to. And so one of the questions I had was, if the first book, if the sales aren't remarkable, how do you build on that? Like it, how do you go from there, say, if, if the first book doesn't sell well? Right. So, I mean, the, the best marketing can do, the first thing would be to write another book. I mean, that's that's the that's what we tell authors all the time, where it's like, look, I've tried all these things, marketing what I need to do. And it's like, well, tell me your favorite 10 authors, you know, go look at your bestsellers list, name household name authors, and tell me how many of those authors have one book. <laughs> and the answer is usually zero. So, yeah, usually when you say, this is my favorite five authors, they usually have about 10 to 25 titles. And so there's a reason. So you're building a foundation. So yeah, the first thing you do is write another book. If you're expecting your first book to uh, to be like the Martian, 
The Martian is one of the rare one book author at the time that actually became like movie and bestseller. And it happens once out of however many books were published that year, you know, five, 10 million books published in one year. And one of them had that success from new authors. That's the thing. So you can't expect to make a living off one book. You're not going to usually make just big chunks of royalties without starting to expand that catalog because it's hard to market one book because you're, you know, you're spending so much, especially paid marketing for us. If you're spending for someone to click on something, then we're making three or $4 of profit. Then, you know, you've got to get three or $4 or less worth of clicks and spend before you sell that book. So it can be really hard. Whereas an author that has eight or nine books, sometimes you can spend 10, $12 to sell one book and paid ads and you're still making money because you know that their read through is so so strong and that it's like once that person reads this one you know they're going to be hooked and they're going to go on and read other books absolutely yeah if i fall in love with a book i want to know if that author has more and i'll, I'll go look the other question i wanted to ask was as an author with a, a book coming out later this year can you share the top three things that someone like myself could do in advance of their book coming out and after to increase sales yeah i think the first one is staying active with you know, any of your expected audience, you know, anyone that might buy your book, followers, email contacts, and, and even fellow authors, you know, author groups, things like that. One of the things you can do is if you're doing it legitimately, you know, really giving back, um, I think that's where you get the most. Like if you're just going in author groups and posting about your book or cheating the system, just trying to, you know, reach out and get followers, but not giving them anything back, then that shortcut doesn't work. But if you're actually, you know, engaging and building trust, I mean, that's the key on social media is building trust. People trust that you're going to post something that's relevant. They trust that you're going to say something that's, that's relevant and they trust that whenever they post something or reach out that you're going to be there to respond and engage and be active. Um, so I think that's one of the biggest things in the pre-order stage is staying, keeping your audience engaged. Um, another thing is on social media and anything that you're going to be using, how you want to network, it's pick what you want to do and that you're going to actively do. Don't just sign up like, okay, I got Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and then not have a clue and don't use it every day. That all you're doing is wasting time that could be better spent write another book instead of you know instead of wasting time so if you're act gonna be active on one then pick one and if you if you time wise you're like you know what I could I could probably do this on two social media platforms and do that and then I think the last thing is just from our end from black Rose writing ends we we provide authors what I feel is really really strong content in terms of our welcome series of emails that lead all the way up and it's like sometimes authors will send me these questions and I'm always like man I know that somewhere and I'll go look it up just to see it I'm like man if they would just read what we've sent them it would answer everything they've asked you know it's all there 10 plus years of experience we've put into that and, and so those and if an author followed that to a T you know they might not be a best-selling author but they would definitely sell more books and they would definitely be able to help us in terms of marketing um, even without you know just time instead of instead of spending money yes those those emails were very helpful i read all of them <laughs> they're really good and i i was uh, talking to a friend who's, who's published by a small publisher and he likes his publisher but he was saying wow i don't get all those i don't, I don't get all the the helpful stuff and the you know i was getting the daily the daily deals 
from when Kathy, well, before, when, when, when uh, the Sometime Sister was in pre-order, I signed up for the Daily Deals long before I thought about submitting my own work to Black Rose. And every single day, every day, every day. And so when I thought about submitting my work to Black Rose, I'm like, oh yeah, totally should because they're selling. Because I've been getting these emails in my inbox like every day. <laughs> so that made me feel good because I'm like, hey, they're hustling. They're hustling for their authors. You know, they're getting out there. And um, the emails to the authors saying, this is what you can be doing now. This is what you should be doing now. Here, let us help you. They're great. I know I appreciate them. Thank you. Yeah, we, we try. We try to time those, you know, where that way authors aren't jumping the gun and you said doing things that they should be doing after release, you know, way too early. Um, so just, just helps with time management, you know, maximizing. Anything that you would like to ask or ask us or tell us that we didn't, because as I said, Black Rose has really been great at providing guidance. I admire people who can self-publish, but I do not know how they can do it successfully and I don't mean because their work isn't good. I mean, because there's just so much to know. So if, if did we skip anything, pearls of wisdom you have for us? No, the only thing I would add, and, and this kind of goes on to what we were talking about, one of the best pieces of feedback we've received lately was from author Mary Ellen Bramwell, one of our authors. And she was talking about, she has a lot of author friends who've published with different publishers. And like you said, they, ne they don't necessarily have bad experiences or they don't dislike their publisher um but they've maryland's told us that they've always mentioned that they don't really know any of their fellow authors and they don't really they've never really networked a lot with their fellow authors they could even tell you who's published with their publisher some of them have said and she said that's what her in her experience has made black rose so great is that the community that we've created and being able to reach out to fellow authors and how responsive you know we all are in, in helping each other and, and so that and that was one of the goals when I started Black Rose Writing was to create a you know family-like atmosphere for authors. They're very encouraging. I've gone on the author page on Facebook and made a lot of friends already and and I've been able to send them messages and ask for advice and, oh, I saw you got a book bub and tell me all about it and give each other blurbs and just say, hey, what's this? And I don't understand this. And, and it's been great. I've been talking to David McDaniel here lately. He, write, he wrote uh, Warrior's Bang is the one, one of his books I'm reading right now. Such a nice guy. And I just met him on the author's Facebook Black Rose author's Facebook page that you set up. It's great. It's so great. Because if I'm confused about something, of course, we can ask you. But it's also nice to ask other authors who've been part of Black Rose for a while and, and have insight. And, and they're just so welcoming and nice. And so glad you set that up. It's great. It's a great community. Well, thank you for spending your time, giving us your time and talent and talking with us. We appreciate it so much. Oh, it was great. I enjoy it. I've got to go coach my eight-year-old girls basketball team tonight. So You are versatile. <laughs> Have fun. I hope they know girls aren't supposed to cry in basketball. But no, no crying yet. No crying my yet. My daughter <laughs> gets pretty competitive. She made me proud the other day. She At the very end of the game, she, she had about three or four back and forth up the court pretty you know full speed she she loves to run and i've never heard her come over and she said daddy 
right when the game ended, daddy, daddy, she said, I hurt my rib. Like my rib is burning. And I said, Oh, sweetheart. I said, you didn't hurt your rib. You've run a little bit. I said, that's a good thing. It'll go away in a few minutes. Just give it a little time. And, uh, well, that's and then, great. Yeah. Thank you again so much. Keep doing what you're doing. I will. Thank you all guys uh, for having me. Thank you for joining us tonight. We welcome your comments and invite you to check out our Wild Women Who Write website. Until next time, keep writing and stay wild.